0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Pit. We are excited to bring the podcast back for 2024. For today's episode, I have James Madison, Coach Matt Mitch, who me and him have a solid relationship going back from times to GAs together in the lonely Loretto, Evansburg area, Pennsylvania. Matt, how are we doing today, man?
1: We're good. You got me laughing thinking about Loretto, Pennsylvania, town of like 3,000 people. Dude, it's a,
0: it was a different time. You had to drive 30 minutes down the mountain to Altoona to go to like a Target or get Chipotle or do something normal.
1: I honestly think the funniest part about living there, and I know you remember this, is like it would be a blizzard in Loretto, and then you would drive to Chipotle like 30 minutes to Altoona, and it's like sunny and 42 degrees.
0: Oh, the weather's completely different, or you'd come back up the mountain, and it would just all of a sudden be like snowstorm, and you're like, I'm not prepared for this at all.
1: That or like getting stuck behind people driving their tractors down the one road to like the university. So like if you had a 5:30 AM lift, you might have to leave at four because if you get stuck behind that big green tractor, like it's going to take 35, 40 minutes.
0: No, absolutely. And we can both relate also to as small as some people might think Harrisonburg, Virginia, where JMU is located. It feels like a big city relative to the time that we spent in Loretto or Evansburg. I remember My wife at the time, she'd be like, oh, do you want me to come visit? I was like, no, I'll I'll go down there. You have way more to do down there.
1: What was it? There was like three spots to eat. Like what was the one? Uh, Carl
0: Powell's, the station house. Um, I think there was a Chili's and then we had like the Walmart. That was like the big like, oh, you got a wall.
1: Yeah, I remember like there was a place where like all the coaches, athletic staff would go. It was like on this side of the left side of the street. And then the only place all the student athletes and everyone else would go is on the right side of the street. So, like, you could, like, go out, get dinner, hang out, and it'd be, like, the whole athletic staff, like, all, like, 200 of us because it's a small department over here. And then all 500 student athletes would be on the other side of the road. Like, it was just, like, it's a funny, it's really a strange setup. It's, like, truly small town living.
0: No, it, it really is. And even, like, the university, like, I, I thought it was a decent size. And then going to a Bridgewater, being around the JMU crew, like, you're, like, oh, wow, this is a tiny, tiny university. But kick things off, man, like, want to get a little intro, a little background on you, but I want to do this a little differently of just not something that if I look up the staff directory at JMU, give me that, like, who is Matt, who is Coach Mitch, like, how did you get into the profession and kind of what, what's made you want to stay in it too, because I know you've been in it a little bit longer than I have, you around almost eight or nine years in the profession?
1: Yeah, so my background was a tiny bit different where, you know, I started uh, out of high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do, like, Uh, I could have go play like D three football, but I went into the army after getting out of the army, went back to school. Uh, I started like the normal path. Like, so let's just clear it. Like, obviously like I love training and love lifting like most strength coaches. So, and then you like, all right, well, I can make a career out of this. That's great. But it didn't start that way. Uh, at Bridgewater state university, I started as a motor development therapist. So I originally was, was going to go into like orthopedic and orthotic sales. So like I was going to work with like, uh, like VA veterans, uh, amputees people with disabilities like and i was like my, my whole family has a is in business in some way like business finance like international business like uh real estate like brokers uh so i, I thought that route and i was like well it was the best of both worlds uh, so as an in a development therapy major i was going to go to graduate school right after uh but i just happened to like kind of like we said stumble upon strength and conditioning working with other people one thing led to another switched over and uh you know, like from there, St. Francis University internships, just kind of stuck. And like, you know, sometimes you don't know you're good at something and then you you find like a niche and it works out.
0: No, I, I can definitely hear you on that one with finding a niche. I, I never thought I would be, think of myself or be talked about as a track guy, but here I am like five years later in my career and kind of four places, three places I've been, not four, kind of had success with track. So it's just, it's interesting how life takes you down paths. You know, you want to do strength and conditioning, you're down this path, but like, Detour side rows, like all of a sudden you end up somewhere. I've always was jealous of you At Army and having hockey being a hockey player prior in my life. I've always been jealous of the people who get to work in hockey.
1: Uh, one thing I can tell you is I learned I'm not a hockey guy. Uh like you know, working with a bunch of sports, like at St. Francis, as you know, like we had pretty much worked with everything, right? Because there's three of us uh and small universities, so about 120 football players. Football was cool. Uh playing baseball in like high school whole life, like always loved that. But we do know like when we're looking at like future careers, like where you're going, like up north, like hockey is kind of like baseball to south, a little bit where uh, it's just a little more prevalent. More schools have it. Uh, Being from the northeast, like everyone always has this desire at some point in their career to be closer to home. Uh, And with that, like, you know, like interning in the northeast from Massachusetts, like I had I just kind of got I rolled into hockey between like BU going to UMass Amherst with Clayton up there. Uh, then like Franklin Pierce for like a cup of coffee with like men's women's hockey there uh, led to the Army in the Northeast, uh, but also like usually like we said is like you know you always have a first second sport always have like some variation of baseball whether it's like as uh, Franklin Pierce like working with them there working with them at other universities and softball on the same point so uh, taking like what we said is like past history how I like to train like my philosophies thoughts like we really aligned well with baseball and you can see like it uh, softball too right so like. Lauren and uh, I, the whole staff here, like kind of like how I train, like what I value, like intensity-wise, uh, like you know, like all the tiny things that baseball and softball like, like are my kind of core beliefs. So it's kind of worked really well.
0: Which I want to dive into. And If anyone does not follow you on social media, you are an avid lifter. I don't think your story ever goes dry of you not lifting in some way. I know in the last, like when you were down at American, you got heavy into Olympic lifting with Sean Foster down there. Kind of how has like say. The rabbit hole you've gone down of competing, weightlifting, how is that a af- not affected, but how has that altered or kind of maybe dictated your training or your teams? Or are you purely much of like, all right, what's the coach's system? What resources do I have? What's best for the athlete and give them the best?
1: yeah so first off it's sean foster's fault that i got into weightlifting because like i was happy with just training and then he did that to me and now like i'm never happy right with my own training i can always be better always move more like we said is like you kind of never compare yourself to people who are like not as good as you you only look up not down you know what i mean so like you're never satisfied uh but like the biggest thing I've, i've taken from weightlifting into our training is the best ability is like availability like live to train another day so like with our athletes like as you know uh whether it's at like st francis uh i always get like the label as kind of like a technician a little bit where like i care more about how they move than almost what they move uh but that plays like dividends in the long run because it makes me take a long-term approach like when i work with my coach pudence right now like jake pudence the guy i'm always tagging and everything the best like you know what i mean he's like technique will drive adaptation right like he's like if you're in good positions you'll move more weight and now for weightlifting the end goal is to always be stronger relative to body weight, so on and so forth. And it gives me a good training purpose. But uh, to a point, it's like the same with athletes, right? It's like, it it teaches you there's a means to an end. Now, we said like training philosophy is like with baseball, uh, we have, uh, we just went through our winter six-week program. We had a 3 layered program, right? So we have guys like we'll say like our catcher is at a point where if he weighs like 200 pounds, we don't back squat. We can go into that later. But right, he's already, he's safety barring close to five and he was front squatting close to 400. So he's almost front squatting two times body weight. Now, like, is the juice worth the squeeze anymore to try to get him stronger in that realm? Because we still have to train in like a team setting, right? So then we switched him over to like asymmetrical work for like the lowest hanging fruit. And then he got to a point where he's like uh safety bar RFE close to three forty five, three fifty five. And I was like, okay, like, is the juice worth the squeeze anymore, or do we go for the lowest common denominator? And we went true single leg work with him. And this dude is a freak. He comes back and he was like, yeah, he's like that was really hard. it's like, how did the single leg squats go? He's like, I was hitting it with like eighty to one hundred pounds for sets of five on a goblet so i was like just like we said in weightlifting like when strong is strong enough right if you can front squat 315 but you can't clean 245 your issue isn't strength like you're not going to push the envelope more by getting stronger it's not going to hurt but uh, i've taken some of those like philosophies and mindsets about like movement movement patterns and like uh lowest like limiting factors and moved it into like what we
0: do And it's awesome for the uh, single leg squat for the catcher. Is that kind of like your like Mike Boyle, like a skater squat variation, just goblet holding like that heavy dumbbell, just purely as one leg as it can.
1: Uh, Yeah. So when we do the like when I say single leg work, it's just like for my my terminology, it's like truly from the bench where they're on a bench, like no support, one leg off, right? They're not allowed to hold sides or touch the ground. I know there's a lot of variations in how people do it. Like I know Mike Boyle's big on going like single leg squat to box and that's the style. Uh, We go from the bench, full range of motion. Generally with a three-second eccentric, uh, so we'll do that variation. We also did skater squats with him, right? So he's in more of like a concurrent style of training where like he's hit a lot of he's hit a lot of benchmarks. Where now I'm just figuring out like. I'm attacking these like one percenters for him, right? Like, how am I going to get him faster from first to second? It's not going to be probably squatting more. It it could be at some point when we get back to it, right? But it might be force output. It might be his inability to like rotate on one leg or stabilize on one leg. So we'll train the sling a little more. Meanwhile, like we said, our freshmen are like entry-level weightlifting where we're still like hammering the basics. Then our intermediate guys, so some of our sophomores, juniors, those who come in with a high training age, like their heavy, like compound strength movements tend to be a little more asymmetrical, where it's RFE, reverse lunge. Um, you know, for an absolute strength phase, it could be split squat, but they're still doing like accelerative strength uh and like a little, little more velocity work on their bilateral movements.
0: So for Bucketing these athletes, it sounds like you've got maybe three, maybe four different buckets that you can throw your athletes into, depending on that. Are there are certain KPIs that you're looking at. I know you talked about, like, two times body weight for that front squat. So, okay, how much more is two and a quarter worth the squeeze on that front squat? What, How are you looking at that, and how are you bucketing them, obviously, besides the freshmen or their freshmen? So, obviously, they're going to go into your lowest hanging fruit of, like, just move really
1: Yeah. So there's really no, uh, a set KPI for anything, uh, in terms of like, it, it's also just the eye test. Like, how do you move? What do you move? Uh, what is your build? Right. Like, cause you know, like we can play into like ectomorphs, mesomorphs, like, are you naturally a skinnier person? I mean, knowing that, right? Like, do you have like a wide ISA or narrow ISA? Like you have a thick torso, small torso. like we know people who have like a wide ISA generally tend to move more weight easier. Right. But not exclusively. Uh, so that plays into it like how long have you been in my system have you started to peter out on progress are you a kid who actually tries a lot right are you someone who puts in great effort so now like hypothetically say you're in your senior year with me and you've been on the first program for three and a half years but I look back the last four months and you're not making progress in these lifts and these numbers aren't going up to where I want but I see that now you're moving the bar faster maybe we transition right so there's a little bit of an eye test generally right around like 1.6 1.6 to 1.8 to start to look is like our our squad's probably strong enough. Like I filled that bucket, and there's no uh, chronological age that requires or training age in my system. Right, we have freshmen who came in, and he had whoever he trained with at home, a uh, fabulous strength coach. Like moved well, like cleaned up a tiny things, and that was just my preference. Like because he actually moves extremely well. Right, like we all nitpick. So like things I value that his coach at home didn't is fine. But we like got him in our system, and then from there. He came in and he's training with uh, we have two freshmen that came in with a high training age that are training with our juniors, our draft eligible guys this year, because like he came in and first day like we're just moving. I won't hold him back. Right. I'll let you like move load as long as you hit the reps with good technique uh, and I'll accelerate you through the freshman program if it's warranted.
0: So one thing you touched on I want to talk about, um, you talked about the eye test. At JMU, again, I don't know much about this. How much, say, tech do you guys have in terms of, like, sports science, VBT, force blades? And I ask this because from where we came from, right, St. Francis, we had – I think we both of us maybe had six or eight teams as GAs. Like, it was – there were just so many teams, not enough coaches. Like, you had to coach, right? You had to be on the floor. You just saw reps and reps and reps and reps. And I look at it now for myself of how much I didn't take that. I didn't take that for – like for granted, but like I didn't value it enough to understand. Of just having that coach's eye, seeing reps, seeing movement, seeing like, hey, I need you to move the bar fast. We didn't have any, team. maybe we we're using. I think there was one time you were using a stopwatch and just trying to just give them something to like tangibly see, like move the bar faster than this. Um, where was I going with this? Um, uh, with your eye test, have you found that having that and mixing in tech, or do you think kind of like having less tech, having the coach like, where do you feel? you've benefited or even for like younger coaches, is it better to be somewhere where like, Hey, you can do a lot with less. And then when you get to somewhere where maybe we have things where like, all right, I don't have to say the more faster. I know exactly how you're moving it because we have, to.
1: you know, like maybe it's more of a hot take. And I'll also say, cause I'd like, I follow you guys and talk to you. I know Pitt has a lot of technology. Uh, and I, I've recently heard like Tim Karen say on one of his podcasts or another podcast. Like I do believe that if you don't integrate and start to learn how to use technology, And try to push it to the side you'll probably be out of a job in three to five years right uh the way it's going like i come in and i'll have freshmen talk to me about stuff they use that i'm still trying to get but for myself and our weight room at memorial uh for those who don't know like the the setup is like christian carter is the director for olympic sports he's in charge of i think three to four different weight rooms uh as like his guy over at memorial i'm there all day Uh, what we use for our own technology uh, we also have the classic scale, right? We use for weigh-ins uh, to measure body weight. Besides that, uh, we have our force plates. We'll use the force plates twice a week. We'll jump. Uh, what We we can go into later on like what I look at on like the quick screen. Uh, besides that, we'll also have our timing gates, and we have gym-aware units. Now, like in other forms of technology, we're getting like more equipment as we go, like anchors, which I guess can be considered tech because it's new, but it's still training modalities. Uh, so we've gone, I've gone away from the stopwatch as more, uh, has become available where like, I don't need to use that. Right. Because we have the gym units and iPads at each, each rack. Uh, something I'm working on now is I want to integrate team builder. Now that we have iPads, I think, uh, for the 70 athletes, I work with baseball, softball, like whether I get that through the university or out of pocket, like it's going to save time on the back end, allow them to log. Uh, we can also integrate questionnaires a little more easily.
0: I, I love team builder. I use it for like track. And since I have. I think it's like five, maybe six to seven programs, depending on injuries, kids coming in late transfers and all that. It's so huge on being able to like change on the fly, make changes versus me grabbing their sheet, chicken scratching something on and them not knowing what it means or not. So that's awesome. I didn't know how much you guys had or did. And I do remember, I think Christian saying he did have timing gates and DVT, but again, wasn't really sure. When you're looking at, you said availability is the best ability, which I think I, say to every recruit that comes in any interview i've ever been on i, I truly try to stand behind that because if you can't play your sport, you're, you're useless that's why you're here whether i've hit jmu anywhere like you're here to play your sport and get a great education because i also tell our recruits um being in baseball though where you have so much variability of like who's pitching who's not pitching so and so needs to be ready tomorrow but he also threw three innings today like How does your in-season – and, like, maybe you can dive in a little bit talk about your system of kind of how do you keep that concept of availability is the best ability in-season where you might have all of a sudden come in, like, so-and-so was supposed to lift today, but now he's got a pitch, so how does that change
1: everything? Yeah, and I think this is a great time to tie in softball some differences, right? So to start with softball, uh, it's a little different with pitchers because they could pitch anywhere from three to four times a week, right? Like, your number one could pitch on Friday – for pitches, five innings. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like your reliever, like number two comes in, finishes up the game and Saturday, your number one would start again, right? Or they might flip it or they can come in and out of the game. So it's a little different uh, where softball is a little easier. It's a set structure. We train twice a week in season. Generally speaking, we go Tuesday, Thursday or Monday, Wednesday, uh, off day and travel, right? So we'll build it that way. And they train in a team setting. They're generally softball has smaller teams. I know you have softball there compared to baseball. I think our roster this year is 23. Uh, 22 available out of 23. Uh, So with that, like they're a little more set, easier to program. And then you can make some minor differences based off workload, what you see, like communicating with the coaches, Uh, baseball, truly different, right? Now we have like our everyday players, we have our developmental guys, and also we have our starters and relievers and at any point in time, based on how you perform, you can go from a starter to reliever to an extra, right? And, And that's just the nature of college or professional sports in any means. Uh, But the way we look at it is like I try to build here because it's a little different than the pros. Generally, we're on a seven day cycle for them. Right. If our Friday night guy pitches on Friday, uh, unless the games are shift back and forth, he's probably going to pitch on Friday next weekend. So we can build back from there. Generally, um, I know there's a bunch of approaches. We don't train immediately after you start. So like, say, if Devin Young took the mound for us on Friday night, uh, say 85 pitches, you know, six innings. After that, we'll just go through some like soft tissue work in the pen. They'll do the recovery. We partnered up with Armored Heat. So they have pre and post arm care. I'll be down there with them to help them through that. Like they do a great job on it. Uh, from there, they'll come in, rest, recover, watch the rest of the game. We want you to get a good night's sleep. And then when we come in on Saturday, we'll do our low day. What I call it is like we'll start to work through like a, a lifting circuit with some of our accessory work. Uh, easiest way to think of it, where we're just promoting like peripheral blood flow, like getting the tissue temperature up. We'll go through either two to three times with these movements. After that, we'll go through what um, some of the like some of what we did. Where I'll do some functional range conditioning, like end range isometric holds, isometric holds to kind of like restore our internal external rotation, restore restore our range of motion, restorative as much as we can. Uh, that's usually paired with something where we're doing time under tension with like light resistance eccentrics and isometrics through that internal rotation. Hopefully, we just came back based off the principles of. Uh, functional range conditioning, because like I do believe what they say, like force is the language of cells. Uh, We'll do that for like our thoracic spine, lumbar spine, uh, hips, and our shoulder. Easiest way to think of it, right? We'll work back from there. Uh, Then after that, they'll leave. When they come in 48 hours later, that's generally one of our moderate to heavy lifts. So hopefully we're starting to stimulate recovery. And uh, well, that was kind of built off our data on the force plate where I, I noticed when they were jumping. Uh, and like, you know, they'd come back. The next day they weren't really down too much. But usually I started seeing all these like PRs on their uh, jump two days after. So I was like, well, let's just move our days around. Let's go like, you know, pitching is always a high day, no matter what, if you're starting. Saturday's your low day. Sunday's our high day because on our Friday guy, they'll throw Tuesday, Wednesday potentially, right? Whenever their pen and the coach is deemed. So that's their high day. Then after that, we'll throw, we'll do a primer lift. So think if we're training like in a block where we're training absolute strength, say in the fall, right? And you're pitching on Friday, Sunday's your heaviest lift. You'll throw your pen. Then the day after your pen, you'll come in and we'll train like an uh, undulated quality. So we'll go like accelerated strength or something lower on that force velocity curve with our with our training philosophy, like we said, like, you know, like total body movements, like squat hinge, push, pull, carry to an extent off and then they'll pitch again.
0: One thing I want to ask real quick, when you're looking at range of motion, you said using the time under tension, do you have a set set like homeostasis, like I know Devin is, boom, normally at this and this? Are you trying to get them back to that point to measure again, or is it more so just taking them through full range of motion and just using that time under tension?
1: Can you repeat that? Like, so for like, are you talking about like on the recovery day, like when we're doing like some of the functional range conditioning, like end range ISOs, like tails and rails?
0: Yeah. Do you have, like I said, like, I know we for softball here, like started measuring like internal external rotation, having numbers and seeing like, all right, in the course of like a six week training, like, okay, I'm doing FRC work. We're doing mobility work. We're doing full range up. Am I improving? Are we not improving? Are we putting them in a range that would be deemed like safe for like pitching?
1: Yeah. So when they do, when they do their end range work, right? Like when we're doing our pails and rails, I I am in there with them the whole time. Uh, So to answer like quickly, like beginning of the year, we'll go through it. I'll like do like, you know, uh, supine, like internal, external on the table, like some quick table tests to gauge them myself, but also being around them, knowing them, seeing them move, seeing them go through it. I have an idea of where they should and shouldn't be. Uh, The goal isn't to like push through pain or push through discomfort. It's just to create the maximum amount of space we can. Uh, so like it's not a hard number, but also like no one's doing a set thing, right? So say if we're doing like an elevated pigeon stretch, this is just easiest way to think of it. If you have the ability where you're at a higher surface or lower surface, we'll always challenge it, right? We want to get you to the end range threshold when we hold that you can tolerate with good positions, right? Like we don't want you to go into external rotation on the pigeon stretch and then flex your lumbar spine. So we'll adjust based off that. So like benches are at different heights. Some might be on the floor. We have some guys who can't tolerate it, right? So they'll be in a modified position
0: you. Gotcha. So kind of coming back to that coaches, I'm just seeing like where they've been when you had them in coming through and just making sure when they're doing these positions, they're not compensating and hurting other areas. Um, talked about your system of kind of these high low models and on next question kind of concept I want to dive into that I'm really curious to kind of get your thought process on is kind of like periodization. Like how much do you hold it to be like is it Holy Grail? Is it worth nothing? Is it kind of just that simple thing of like, I have a plan for either a semester, a year, or a week, and I'm just going to go through that. If I need to make changes, make changes as we go.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with linear periodization, but I definitely would probably say uh, in, in college and team sports, a little more set up easier, but also like transitioning from hockey to baseball and other teams. Like, you know, hockey is a little more set. You know, you're playing two games a week on Friday, Saturday, Probably every two to three weeks, you have a midweek game uh, and you don't have to worry about certain things, right? Generally, you know, you get them after practice, so it limits the amount of power and force help, you want to do. Uh, meanwhile, with baseball, it can vary based off where you're at in softball. You can have them before practice, after practice. It depends on what day. Is it an individual day? Uh, but generally speaking, I'd say linear periodization at certain times of the year, whether it's off season, in season. Uh, maybe preseason in terms of like intensity, right? Because you don't want to go from somewhere where you're training, like we said, like strength power, like maybe 60 to 70%. And then one week dump them up 80 to 90% for a single. So there's always a gradual rise, like we said. Uh, But I think I've gone away from it more working in the team setting because that plays into a question you asked about like working with your coaches. What do they value? Now, like where we look, so we might have an undulated day or or a day that's training towards a quality of the day value. Like, do we want to be the fastest for 90 feet? So we'll train like these little, these compound lifts and power output movements in the weight room that are geared more towards that compared to maybe saying like traditional, like linear periodization, where it's three days a week at 80 to 90%.
0: Uh, I, I definitely agree on the team idea. Like, it's weird having softball in track. One of them, I can kind of be more strategic on following the plan because I know we have a set competition. We're looking to, like, quote-unquote peak for versus softball. Like, hey, the plane got delayed on Saturday, Sunday night, so we got in later on Monday. So now we're changing that Monday or Tuesday. It, team sports, I think having a plan is important, but I think trying to follow something super structural like, a true periodization plan, like, most of the time I end up throwing my cards and sheets out the window and just – Here's my plan. Here's the focus. And we're going to go from there. Building on periodization. I'm curious to know this about you having men's ice hockey. Most of your freshmen coming in are 20, 21 years old, they're older playing juniors and going through that versus having say softball baseball, where you get more of your typical high school kid coming out. How, between the two teams, like, were you able to train hockey a little bit differently because they were maybe older, had a higher training age? A lot of these high-end junior teams will have, like, a strength coach on staff. They have a de- decent weight room. I know if you have a kid coming from the national development team, I mean, their weight room is so nice. They've got a full-time on staff with them. How would you compare the two in terms of training them and maybe even, like, the idea of, like, not periodization, but kind of, like, creating plans for them based on where they're at?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it just depends, uh, with hockey, you know, there's some rabbit holes of training, so you can get some guys that come in and your whole new system is new to them, right? Like they've never done a goblet squat. All they've done is split squats. So it just depends on where you're at. Uh, it depends on their training history, being a more affluent sport. They tend to come from a little more money so they can afford private coaches, skill coaches, uh, which dictates what you do because now they can train harder, might have a higher training age and might be more adapted to their sport but also like what you're doing is going against someone they have a great relationship with for the last 15 years. He's been training them. Right. Like we said, uh, meanwhile, in baseball, you'll tend to notice, like as it's growing kids tend to have more strength coaches coming in and softball, uh, maybe at the high school level, but you still see sometimes where he was also the gym teacher. She was also the gym teacher, or they went to the a private sector facility like two to three times a week because as baseball's changed, it's uh, a little different than hockey. where like our kids coming in are now almost playing three seasons, right? They're playing fall ball. ball they're playing in the spring and then they're playing like travel in the summer too. Uh, so it's changed a bit. Um, generally speaking, uh, some have a higher training age, some don't, uh, but it's the same with hockey. Like across the board, I didn't notice a huge difference in terms of like who's coming in well developed and well trained versus who's not. But as like, you know, sports becoming more of a business. You notice at the high school level, they're taking it more seriously. Uh, so now like that foundational or like block zero program becomes more of just teaching like your particulars, like we said, like, we squat elevator style, straight up, straight down, right? I want your butt to your calf. I don't want you to push your hips back. And that's just like tiny nuances we teach, but it's not like a a huge overhaul, like we would say, me and you would see when you'd come in day one, ground zero at St. Francis University, where uh, they're like, what do you mean I have to lift? No, I
0: I can understand that. I was always curious because, again, just, again, being a hockey player, the idea of just being I know when I got to college, I was just mentally a little bit older. I had a training age, like I had experience with stuff that I feel like if I would have came in as a freshman, I don't know. I think that first year of training just would have been so much of a shock, let alone being in college and going through it. A couple questions I want to go rapid fire and all that. First one What is the most impactful book you read in the last year, 2023?
1: I actually have a bunch right here, so I'm looking at it. Uh, Honestly, I don't really think I read a book in 2023 that was impactful. And it's funny you're talking about this because I was just like thinking of like what I'm going to read for this year. And one of the ones that I came back to at all points in time is, uh, have you read Starbucks book about like the startup, how he started? Uh, And he like had to rebuild it, reacquire the company. Uh, that one, I would say Netflix. Netflix was a great one, right? Where he talks about how he started the startup, and they actually don't have rules, right? They just—it—it it comes down to like their company model is like you know, kind of be a good person. Like if you do what's right most of the time, it makes sense. Uh, and I'd say that's one I always reference a lot, like when I'm doing things. Where like the example I can give that lives in my brain from the book about like the Netflix startup is, they're saying like you know if you're taking a flight, is it best for you or best for the company? So if I'm flying to Cali with you, is it best for the company that I fly economy? Or business, right? So always make the better choice. If I'm flying by myself, economy makes no difference. Now, if I'm flying with you on a business trip, we might wanna fly business to first class because it can bring in greater revenue. It could sell you on what we do. It'll help the company out more. But if I'm flying like first class on the company's dime for myself, is it really helping the company? And I don't know why that example always lives in my head, but like before I make decisions, before I ask for equipment, before I ask for technology, I always think of that. Or I was like, do I want this because it's gonna help me in my day to day? Or do I think it can actually like help the program, help JMU, like help the staff?
0: I remember you telling me about the Netflix book. Um it might have almost been like a year ago. I think it was a DM. We had it and all that, but I do remember you telling me about it. It's in my overgrowing, overly large, Netflix, uh, not Netflix, um, Amazon wish list, which is just always filled with books. I read one and then order for the uh, amount of bookshelves we have in our house. My wife yells at me all the time. She's like, you need to start reading them. It's just because I'll hear about them, get them, buy three, read one. And just, it's, I guess it's a hobby. I like collecting books and reading books. (laughs) Question number two, what is one piece of tech that you could not go without as a strength? So you have to answer this.
1: Yeah. One, I could not go without, uh, you know, I used to say timing gates, but I think like, if you properly use your iPhone, you can record sprints and then go back and edit it and get pretty accurate. Uh, so there's my cheap budget hack for when your timing gates don't work. Like you take your iPhone out, record them. You can go back, cut, edit, drag it. And you can see from start to finish everyone. Uh, I would say force plates, but I think now you can probably do more with a uh, VBT and, and the right manner, right? Because you could also like jump on a jump mat. You can attach a VBT tether to their hip or their hand, So you now you can get peak velocity, mean velocity, peak power output. You can enter the body weight if you have the iPad. So I think you can manipulate that a little more on a budget uh meanwhile, like, you know, the force plate would be number two, I guess.
0: I definitely think the gym wear is something that like, every time I pull it out and start scrolling through it or playing around with my own training, I'm like, this has so much stuff in it that I have no idea what happened. Just trying to learn more.
1: The worst thing you that, have to, what was that? Like when you have to reset it, you're like, uh, like when the athletes are like, Hey, it's not working. You're like, damn
0: yeah technology is a blessing but more often than not when i'm running over to have to reset an ipad or did the interns or my people helping me set it to mean or velocity it's like well we're, we're cleaning i don't need it for me so yeah there there is a lot of hiccups that can go along the way but i definitely think it's probably one of the one pieces that if any school i could be go to back to i would definitely always have to see. next question what's one piece of advice you could give your younger
1: self i'd say expand more right uh you know, they always say like get a lot of coaching reps and I do think it's important, right? Like, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, Oh, go to a a place where you can coach. I think that's valid, but, uh, also find a place where like as a young coach and intern where you don't really bring much to the table, right? Like they're hiring you to help, but they don't need you. Right. Like at St. Francis, uh, Grant and Chad probably could have ran that by themselves. Meanwhile, like we got a chance to get reps, uh, but also go where they're going to help you, right. Where they're going to, be honest with you tell you what you need to work on but also uh, a place where you're valued right like don't just go and sit there in the corner it, it's a really hard thing because like you could ask me a month from now and based off you know the last seven days it could change i just think like don't go don't chase like the logo in essence of don't just go there to go there find a reason right like look at what do they do like you know if you look at tcu like zach and them like a lot of their interns and former part-time employees, like he gets them in great positions, develops them, and they go on to be great coaches. Uh, that's a huge thing because I think sometimes like that doesn't always happen.
0: Well, I can definitely agree with that. Different places I've been, and even previously when I was the director at Bridge Order, we had internships. Like looking back on the year I was there of how we worked with interns, handled them. Granted, a lot of them were all like current students, so they had class schedules. They weren't sure if they wanted to do SNC or if it was just a I'm fulfilling my internship quad. Uh, requirement for the exercise science department, but definitely being somewhere. I know BMAC here at Pitt does an amazing job of like educating them, make them feel valued, like understand that they are people, like they are in unpaid positions, so like we're not demanding the world from them, but we will do anything in our power to help them out if they prove themselves. Question number.
1: Want to add one more thing for you on that? Only because I thought of the, the the final the answer. Also, like do that, but go where you fit, right? Like, so if you're someone who. young coach and you believe like weightlifting is the way or say you're on the other side that you believe like oh man it's all about technology uh you know it's all about like block periodization train one quality at a time or we'll just jump uh squatting's dumb right you might not want to go somewhere where they have like the methodology that's completely against you because when you work as a staff you might get along but you'll never fit in right and that's half the battle because you're going to spend so much time with these people you work with whether it's your coaches right also like When you do an interview as a strength coach, as a younger one, remember that's your time to interview the coaches because if they're huge on discipline, uh, you know, and all these things that maybe you don't believe in, uh, it's going to be – you're going to be going against your, like, your own, like, thought process about how it goes, right? Like, if Devin Young's the coach that thinks, like, I'm just going to have – and there's nothing wrong with it because there's great coaches that do it. Like, you know, I don't like a strict time. I'll be in from 10 to 2 every day. They can get they have to get in their workout between that time before practice. But the coach is one of those where they want them to do everything the same, wear the same shirt, wear the same logo, and you don't believe in that and it makes a difference. Like you're going to always have, find conflict. So I think young coach advice, scratch everything else I said. Make sure like that's the biggest thing, right? Make sure where you go you're a fit to like the philosophy of the coaches and the department you work in. It's,
0: a, it's an interesting mindset because, again, if you're not a fit, like you're not going to do a good job. You're always going to be butting heads. You're going to be seen as possibly like, an issue or a headache. And then like, you don't, maybe don't get those recommendations or don't get the full benefit of the experience. It's an interesting way way to look at it. All right. Last question. I'm I'm interested because you talked about your family being in finance and all that. If you never went into strength and conditioning, what would you be doing with your life?
1: Yeah. It's so long ago. I don't know, but, uh, you know, I have some family that does real estate. So maybe like a real estate agent, uh, also, you know, the other ones work in, in finance and some thing. I'd probably be in sales. I think, uh, uh, to an extent, like, uh, that's where I was going before, like we said in the beginning of this podcast, uh, I'd probably be in some variation of medical sales or orthopedic sales, potentially physical therapy, you know, like, cause it always triples down that way. Um, I'd probably uh, physical therapy at some point because I'd have some aspect of training seeing what we said where I wanted to do like orthopedic orthotic sales.
0: Interesting sales. I could see you as a salesman. I could see you in a nice button down shirt and tie coming to sell me medical equipment. I could see that. I could see you being in sales. All right, Matt, I appreciate you coming on today's episode, man. For anyone who wants is listening to this episode and wants to reach out to you, wants to know more about what you're doing with baseball and softball. Like what's the best ways to contact you? Is it social media? Is it your JNU jam- email? Um, how can people reach out to you?
1: Yeah. Two best ways. I'm going to be honest. If you probably email me, the chances that I get back to her to slim, uh, I'm really bad at answering those, uh, but best two ways, probably Instagram. I will answer on Instagram at coach Matt Ryan. And if you know someone that knows me, just get my phone number. If you call or text me, I'll answer.
0: Awesome. I'll make sure to put your handle up. I will not put your cell phone number in the show notes. I'll make sure they get it from someone else. Matt, appreciate you having on, man. Enjoy Harrisonburg. I I miss the city. I miss a lot of the food places down there. Is Bobo Co. where? Because you're under one of the breweries. Bobo Co. that's like a little bit too them. Is it it closed now or is it still open? It's still open. It's there. Best, Best food in Harrisonburg. When they reopened during the pandemic, I think we went for five nights in a row and did pickup to give them business. I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you get them. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Matt. And for everyone um, listening, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And as always, hail the pit.